He does it in the best sense for selfish reasons because he wants to do it because he loves doing it. And he still has a passion for the music and for the project. And two, because I think now in his kind of the back nine of his career or the back nine of his lifetime, I think he has a, a much wider perspective on his place in this culture and to his fan base. And it's not egotistical to say, hey, all these people want to see me, you know, for lack of a better term, like the Kinks would say, give the people what they want. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Listing Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and I am excited to have my guest. Uh, Rich is uh, very active on Twitter and mostly about sports and other stuff, but every once in a while, he throws a Bruce uh, hot sports opinion out there, and I reached out to him. And Rich said he'd love to join me. So welcome to the show, sir. Uh, it's my pleasure, Jesse. It's always great to be uh, part of the bigger Bruce Springsteen community. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I've been amazed of as doing this podcast is um, the passion of the Springsteen fan base. And unlike a lot of fan bases, um, in my experience, majority of them are just good people. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, there's a little bit persickety sometimes and there can be minor whining, but overall, just most people are just great people that are fun to talk to. Yeah, I, I found the same thing. And uh, I, I agree with you on some level that you run into some Bruce fans, just like anybody who's like super passionate about something. You run into Bruce fans who once you start a conversation, you don't feel like you're vibing with them you feel like you're all of a sudden competing with them to find out yes. if you're a bigger fan or they're a bigger fan. I just back away from moments like that because I'm sure there are much bigger and more passionate yeah. Bruce fans than I am. I just know what he and his music has meant to me throughout my entire life as a New Jersey native, as someone who's seen him, you know, a, a number of times on tour and, and the friendships that I continue to have in large part because of Bruce. That, that's what I appreciate. That's what I love about it. I don't necessarily have time for any of that competition. You know, that's a really good point. And, um, you know, and I've, I've done, a, I did a parody for April Fool's where mm -hmm. I had a stand-up comedian uh, be one of those fans, right? And, um, and, and it was a lot of fun to kind of, mm -hmm lovingly poke fun at you know uh the people that well you know he's done nothing since darkness right yeah. like nothing since darkness is really mattered right and um you know uh there are fans that and and i'm not arguing with them that you know uh 78 prove it all night the concerts were then ultimate ever since then's downhill nothing and, as good as that right and you know one of the things when i used to early do the show rich is I had a guy on 
And I told him that I would love a concert where Bruce did nothing before Tunnel of Love. Just he went from Tunnel of Love forward. Mm-hmm. And, and the guy said, I would be happy with um, darkness and back. And he didn't do anything <laughs> darkness, right? And, um, and, and we, you know, it wasn't a competition, it was just a joke. But I just, I think that's one of the reasons why on the archive, when they do the other band, I enjoy that release sometimes more because they're playing different songs than the traditional core which we all love but you know Mm -hmm. it's kind of nice every once in a while to get some diversity yeah and and i'm just listening to what you're saying jesse and you're saying you're going from just in that specific conversation you're going from uh, 1978 darkness all the way to 19 what 88 so there's a 10-year gap in there where i'm sorry that's where i came of age as a bruce fan yes so i i i almost take that personally that that fan is saying like there was nothing after that. I didn't discover Bruce until 1984 when I was 13 years old. Right. And then of course, you know, I immediately went back in time and discovered everything before that and, and, and soaked it all up like a sponge and then, you know, took the ride with him from that point forward. But uh, I, I think that's being a little small minded to say that there's been nothing of quality from Bruce. I, I, I would say, you know, this time off that we've all had during the pandemic has, you know, forced me to do some some fun exercises with Bruce and other things that I'm that I'm passionate about. And one of them was uh, a few of my friends and I kind of got together on a text chain and I was like, OK, let's just do this. Name your favorite Bruce Springsteen albums in order. I, it's not an easy task, but let's right. do it if we can. And for me, Born to Run is number one. Darkness is number two. After that, it gets really, really difficult. But you know what? My number three album, personally, yeah. is The Rising. And The Rising came out in the 2000s. I mean, you can't say that there has been no meaningful right. or critically acclaimed or popular Bruce Springsteen music since 1978. I just think that's a little myopic. Well, what I, I had a guy on, um, and I, and he talked about that and, and I, I tell this story almost every podcast because I think it, it, it speaks so much, right? He's talking about, he's at the reunion tour, right? Like mm-hmm. in the 99, you know, 2000 this time. And he's watching the band and he's thinking, well, this is it. You know, he's reunited the band. They've had this worldwide tour. You know, this is the, this is the peak of spring. Mm-hmm. This will, we may get a tour every few years, but this is it. And he says, if I could go back and tell that guy, you've got the rising coming, you have wrecking ball coming, you have Broadway coming, you, you have, you know, um, Western stars and oh yeah, in the middle of a pandemic, when we're all desperate for music, we get a letter to you album, mm-hmm. you know, all that's coming and, you know, they haven't even, you know, it's, I guess it's halftime. You could make the argument to do the sports analogy, but it's right. nowhere near to the end of the game. No. And God bless him because, yeah. uh, you know, I, I hope that I am at least an iota as active and relevant as Bruce, Bruce is in his seventies. I I hope I'm, I'm just one fraction of that when I reach that age. Yeah. And, you know, um, 
and boy, as I've warned you, we're off on tangents. So, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> the idea, right, that at, at 71, you release Letter to You, and um, and some guy on Facebook, and that's why I mentioned majority of people are, are, are amazing, but every once in a while you have a small one or two percent, and, you know, somebody posted, I wish he would quit putting out new stuff. It's just diluting his legacy. And I'm like, dude, it is perfectly fine. If you don't like Western stars, you don't like letter to you. Um, you know, um, if you don't like the seeger sessions, pick whatever new album you want. If it doesn't speak to you, that's fine because Mm -hmm. it's personal taste, but I don't think there's anything short of a criminal act. This guy can do to tarnish his legacy <laughs> exactly right? that's that's embedded that that is yeah. cemented for a yeah. long time absolutely yeah. i agree you know and um i know that to mix in a little sports right they talked about i remember and this is stuck with me that toward the end of muhammad ali's fighting career um people he was fighting for for money he was fighting for mm-hmm. the paycheck to support his family and they said and so you should judge his career accordingly that understand that what he was doing at that point. And Mm -hmm. I, I made this story and I don't know if you're, but um, the TV show supernatural, right. For Mm -hmm. the last five or six years, I'm like, I mean, it's like Muhammad Ali's career at this point, (laughs) people are doing it to keep everyone in Canada and the boys, you know, and, and let's hold it with a certain thing. Bruce is just doing it because he wants to do it. Right. right. Like this is he wants to do. I mean, he he gets the man together and they do letter to you. He wanted to do this album. Uh, you know, he called into East Street Radio just another a few days ago talking about he recorded with John Mellencamp. He's got the killers thing that just came out. And, you know, and he's decided to go back to Broadway and brings up the same noise that it did last time. Oh, he's elitist. And it's he's, you know, he he's forgotten the little man no that's just there is someone everyone in the world looks at a concert ticket and says i wish i could afford that right not everyone Mm -hmm. can afford the 100 120 bucks for ticket much less you hear about fans flying to europe or people from europe flying to ua everyone is at a different financial level but that doesn't mean the artist itself is wrong and doing what the market bears right that's the marketplace um and i think people who feel that way about bruce are completely missing the point because if i feel like if there's one thing and again sometimes you and me and everyone else who is as much of a fan as we are we probably sound to the other people like we're just bruce apologists yes but i truly feel in, in to the to the core of my soul like that is the exact opposite of Bruce. I, I think Bruce is going back to Broadway for all the right reasons to yes. help, you know, New York City get back to normal and, and really in, in a bigger picture to help our country get back to normal. He wasn't the one who was like, oh, this is a great money grab for me. He was coerced and coddled into doing it. But based on his story that he told on East Street Radio last week by a friend sitting on a couch and yeah. just, you know, urging him and urging him. And he finally he's like, all right, I'll do it. You yeah. know, one of those things. I, I think he does it in the best sense for selfish reasons because he wants to do it because he loves doing it. And he still has a passion for the music and for the project. 
And two, because I think now in his kind of the back nine of his career or the back nine of his lifetime, I think he has a, a much wider perspective on his place in this culture and to his fan base. And it's not egotistical to say, hey, all these people want to see me, you know, for lack of a better term, like the Kinks would say, give the people what they want. Absolutely. Um, so, all right, we're already like 10 minutes yes. into it and I barely Let's even introduced <laughs> Rich Hollenberg. So Rich Hollenberg, please, in case someone does not know who you are, go ahead and give us a quick bio, your elevator uh, pitch. My elevator pitch. Uh, okay, I'll try to keep it as brief as, uh, no, as no, possible. No, no, take your time. Born and raised in, in Bergen County, New Jersey, uh, about 20 minutes as the crow flies from the Meadowlands and Giant Stadium. Uh, went to Syracuse University and have lived down in the Tampa Bay area in St. Petersburg, Florida for the last 25 plus years. Uh, I'm a sportscaster. I spend half of my year working for ESPN calling college basketball games. And I spend the other half of the year locally covering the Tampa Bay Rays. So um, I'm living my own dream, just kind of like, you know, to stay within the framework of our conversation, the way that Bruce is living his dream out. That's that's what I'm doing right now. I've always wanted to be a sportscaster. Uh, I was not born with a silver spoon in my mouth, but in some ways I feel like I was born with a microphone in my hand. Yes. Uh, always, I've always been very comfortable uh, speaking to crowds, being in front of a camera, uh, and I'm a huge sports fan. Ever since I realized uh, at a very young age that I wasn't going to be a professional athlete, I said, I got to figure out a way to stay in that, in that genre, in that industry. And sports casting was the way to do it. And not, not too ironically, it was around that same time as a 13-year-old that I was introduced to the music of Bruce Springsteen. And, you know, my life kind of took a turn at that point uh, in those formative years that to this day still informs who I am and what I am and why I do what I do. I'm now married. I have three kids. Uh, my wife is not from Jersey. She's not a Bruce fan. Uh, I'm trying desperately to get my three teenage kids to embrace Bruce Springsteen. The closest I've gotten so far is my 15-year-old daughter, Lindsay, wears my 1984-85 Bruce Springsteen concert t-shirt because retro is cool, Jesse. Yes, it so is. Absolutely. She, she wears my Bruce Springsteen uh, concert tour t-shirt, uh, and that makes my heart happy. So um, first off, yeah, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. And I'm looking for, we're already having a great time. Um, I always like to go to the beginning. So let's go back. You're growing up in Jersey. What kind of music did your family listen to? Was it a musical family when you were a kid? Yeah, um, I would say it was. I mean, no one played an instrument. I tried. I played saxophone when I was in sixth grade. Uh, I played the drums when I was in eighth grade. I tried taking up guitar when I moved away from home after college none of it stuck. The one useless talent that I have, and I only say useless part jokingly, because I still feel like I'm, I'm, I'm approaching 50 years old. And I feel like at some point it's going to pay off. I have uh, an ability to memorize lyrics to songs over just about any genre that I enjoy listening to. And, and my friends who know me always joke around about it. And the reason I bring that up is we were always listening to music growing up, but it was never Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. It was my parents loved Barry Manilow. 
uh, we listened to the Bee Gees mm -hmm. and Frank Sinatra. And then I got into, when I was old enough, like seven, eight, nine years old, I remember my sister and I getting into Billy Joel and some Super Tramp and Sticks and sure. groups like that. And then when I was 13, I used to go to summer camp, like a lot of kids in the Northeast did. And I went to summer camp in uh, a, a camp out in the, near the Pocono Mountains in Pennsylvania. And my counselor at the time, his name is Mitchell Ashley, was a big Bruce fan. And we were in this cabin. It was really rustic and on a lake. And we were in this cabin and I was 13 years old. And he used to have these big speakers and a stereo system. And he would bring his stereo and the speakers out on the porch of our bunk and put on Bruce Springsteen music. And I had never heard of Bruce. The only thing I peripherally knew was Hungry Heart because right. it got radio play exactly. when I was about eight or nine years old. Right. But he would play Darkness on the Edge of Town and Nebraska and Greetings from Asbury Park, you name it, the whole catalog. And we'd have essentially what amounted to porch parties, similar to how he, how Bruce sings about in Mary's Place. Mary's Players, yes. Exactly. Uh, and, and that was my first introduction to Bruce's music. And I remember one of my bunkmates, Terry, who, again, I find like everyone has a Terry in their lives, like Backstreet's. Yes. That was my Terry, literally. That's, yeah. Uh, and, and Terry had Darkness on the Edge of Town on a cassette tape. And that was one of the first tapes that you remember, Jesse, those those uh, boom boxes that had dual cassette tapes sure. and you can record from Absolutely. one to the other. I recorded Darkness on the Edge of Town. And that was my first Bruce Springsteen recording that I ever owned. And that kind of changed the way I listened to and love music for the rest of my life. That was my that summer of 84 was uh, the the sonic moment of my lifetime, for sure. So, Rich, you you have you have been awoken something that I have not realized before. And so I'm going to go on a little tangent and bear with me. Um, mm -hmm. Mark Evanier is a, um, a writer um, out in Hollywood. He's he's worked on early days he worked on welcome back carter he's been executive producer of garfield the cartoon he's written comic books um he's a very successful writer and um he talked about watching the dick van dyke show as a kid mm -hmm. and saw rob petrie with buddy and sally and and he said that looks like a fun place to work that looks like writing TV seems like a fun job and you get to marry Mary Tyler Moore <laughs> and go That home. doesn't suck. <laughs> right. So when he met Dick Van Dyke in person, he started to tell the story and Dick Van Dyke stopped him and said, you saw the TV show. You said, gosh, if I become a TV writer, I get to have fun and I get to marry Mary Tyler Moore. And Mark Evans goes, yes. He goes, you can, I cannot tell you how many people have told me that story. So I can't tell you how many times summer camp finding Bruce has came up in this discussion. So, yeah. uh, you know, and so I do think it is, um, and especially, as you said, the East Coast, right? Maybe it's because that was very much a cultural thing. You went mm -hmm. to summer camp, but like my best friend, Sam, talked about to this day he said you know 
I recognize Born in the USA's greatness, but uh, we played it nonstop, 24 hours a day, seven days a week when I was in summer camp that, you know, at finally had reached the point where like, okay, I I think I've heard enough of it, right? Like, it's like, (laughs) I love hamburgers, but after having hamburgers 60 days in a row, maybe I want something different. So that is, uh, that is amazing. I, I always ask this question and sometimes people have a hard time explaining. Can you, can you, articulate what about his music spoke to you? That is a great question, Jesse. And, you know, one of the fun things about talking to you is uh, getting to express these feelings that you really don't get to express. Even when you're in the parking lot waiting to go into a concert to see Bruce and everybody feel, you know, we all feel the same way. No one sits around a circle and goes, so how do you feel you know, this has affected your life. It's not a therapy session. So I appreciate this. And I've had these conversations before. Uh, Ted Canova, who's obviously a mutual friend of ours. uh, I've had that conversation with him too. And it brings me such joy. It gives me goosebumps to to talk about it. But um, to answer your question and probably make a short story long. uh, Please. (laughs) Yeah. the, The fact is, is that when I first heard the music, something stirred inside of me that no other music had done before. I love Billy Joel. As I mentioned, that was one of the first artists I remember going and buying an album and putting it on the turntable and listening to 52nd street or to glass houses or anything like that. And being like, man, I love this. And I love singing along and I love dancing to it. And I grew up in New Jersey. My my parents are both from long Island. So you would think I would have had that connection with Billy Joel, who is kind of the voice of Long Island music. Absolutely. But something, and I didn't even know Bruce Springsteen was from New Jersey. I was 13 years old. I was an idiot kid. I I didn't make that connection at that time. But something stirred inside of me when I heard Dancing in the Dark and Darlington County and all of the songs, you name it, on that album, go from one all the way through. And I I wasn't able to define it then, but looking back on it now, it's two words. It's New Jersey. And and that is not to say that anyone who's not from New Jersey doesn't have the same love and the same passion and the same connection to Bruce's music. All I can tell you, Jesse, is that is how my connection began. I felt like I was Bruce Springsteen and I related to Bruce Springsteen because when I started going back in his catalog and heard the, it's a town for losers, we're pulling out of here to win. I didn't feel like that in growing up in Rivervale, New Jersey. He was much more blue collar than I was. I was middle-class, upper middle-class even where I grew up in Bergen County, but I still knew that there was something bigger out there for me. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to live the rest of my life in that bubble of the garden state as much as I loved it. I, I wanted a, bust out. I wanted those wings for wheels, for lack of a better term. And so I I immediately felt that connection, like he is speaking to me. And and I only say it half jokingly, going back to when I said one of my best friend's names was Terry. When I heard Backstreet for the first time, I was like, holy shit, this is real. Like Bruce had a friend, Terry. I have a friend, Terry. Bruce is from New Jersey. I'm from New Jersey. He is speaking to me when at the very same time, 
He's speaking to all of us. And I didn't realize that Bruce was as popular as he was or the fan base was as devoted and fanatic as we all are. And I now understand all I knew was that something on that porch in Pennsylvania in the summer of 1984 struck me like no other music I had ever heard. And it gave me a desire to want to hear more and more and more. And then the following summer after my con my counselor went and left camp on a day off to go see Bruce at the Meadowlands and then came back and gave me that concert t-shirt that what 40 years later, my daughter now wears. Yeah. I got to see Bruce for the first time. And it was August of uh, 22nd of 1985. It was the first time he had played giant stadium. And I remember being in the third deck of giant stadium and just having my mind blown for the second time and saying, now I, I thought I got it when I was singing and dancing on the porch to Bruce's music. Now I really understand because I was surrounded by 70,000 other people who were probably feeling the same exact way that I was. You know, um, I keep, there's a comedian, I don't remember his name, but he, he makes the joke that um, if, whether you're Jewish or not, if you live in New York City, you're Jewish. And whether you're <laughs> Jewish or not, if you don't live in New York, you're not Jewish. Um, well, there's some truth to that. There's like, you know, and I think what whether you're a Bruce fan or not, right? Like Jersey, like whether you're from Jersey or not, if you're a Bruce fan, you're a little bit of Jersey, right? Yeah. You embrace that. Um, and, you know, I love the idea because I, you know, I was... I've told the story multiple times, right? But I was a casual fan. And what really pushed me over was 9-11 and mm -hmm. seeing the band perform and then seeing him in 2002 for the first time. I had never seen him perform live. Did not know hardly any of the songs because I had not done my homework. I had not listened to The Rising on repeat mm -hmm. you know, like three weeks before the show. But I, I went, oh my goodness, I want to do this again over and over again yeah. and and um and there is that something about it and it's a cliche but the reality is um you you want to tell someone who goes ah bruce is okay okay have you seen him live like i know that's a cliche but the reality mm -hmm. is have you seen him live and then um i I had a guy on uh, that's a big Bee Gees fan and he and I mm -hmm. exchanged the, you know, had a talk that when someone says they're not a fan of the Bee Gees, his first question is, have you listened to anything besides Saturday Night Fever? Saturday Night Fever. And I just go, yes. And when someone says I'm not a Bruce fan, I go, have you listened mm -hmm. to anything besides Born in the USA? Right. right. Like the, the diversity of their both catalogs kind of speaks. Yeah. Um, you mentioned your first show. So I always preface this, Rich. I do not believe the amount of times you've seen Bruce perform live is a fair barometer of a your fandom. And I do agree. I agree. There, there is a little bit of competition among this small percentage of the people you were talking about, right. That go, Oh, well, I've gone 87 times. Oh, well, yeah. you know, and, you know, and Dave Marsh has said, well, if you can count it, if you can count the number of shows you've seen, it doesn't count, you know, you know, if you can, if you can, but for the record, uh, how many times have you gone? Um, I, here's uh, taking your comment to an extreme, Jesse. Yeah. I've tried over the years 
to remember how many yeah. times I've gone and I can't. And full disclosure, it's not because I've seen him so many times that I've lost, lost track. It's because I've seen him. I, I know I've seen him more than a dozen and fewer than two dozen. And okay. it pains me to say that because as big of a Bruce fan, sometimes I do feel a little, I don't, I don't know if it's jealous or envious or what it is, but I feel like I've seen him many more times than I've had. But I am very fortunate, and I recognize this before I even go into this part of our conversation, that a lot of the shows that I've seen have, in retrospect, turned out to be seminal shows. At least in my opinion, they have been. I've never traveled abroad to see him. Um, I've only been, because of life situations and because of my occupation, I can't bust away from work and say, oh, I have four weeks vacation. I'm going to use this one week and go see three Bruce shows, or yeah. I'm going to travel overseas. I, I work at nights. I work on weekends and I work a lot of holidays and right. I have three kids and I've been married yeah. for 20 years. I don't have the wherewithal to right. see Bruce whenever I care to. So I've lost track of the number because I don't care to count about that number. And, um, and I truly firmly because of my own personal situation, yeah. buy into what you're saying 100%. It is quality, not quantity with me. And um, I do recommend going to mybosstime.com, mm -hmm. which is a website uh, that Elko did. Um, and it lists every tour way back to the early 70s. And you create a free uh, account and then mm -hmm. you can go and say, well, I know I was at this show. And right. I know this show, and then it will do behind the scenes. It will give you a database of what is your most heard songs, what are your least. Oh, that's songs. awesome! Yeah, uh, and it's it's yeah. So mybosstime.com, um, it is a rabbit hole you will go through um, <laughs> that you will enjoy though. Um, like I I don't know that uh, the wall uh, mm -hmm. from High Hopes is not something he's played very often, and I was lucky enough to be at one of the shows where he played it, and I did not. There you go. I mean, I was like, oh, wow, I can't believe he's playing that. But it wasn't right. like, oh, I'm getting obscure. Um, yeah, I had the same thing um, where just by circumstances, you know, I I moved to Dallas in 86. I, I grew mm -hmm. up in Louisiana. So, eight, you know, going to Dallas in 86, you know, my first big city. And, um, you know, I just didn't happen to catch any of the shows. And during like when he was doing the other band or the ghost of Tom Joad, I never thought about seeing him. It just hadn't. And so, and then uh, I remember specifically there was a family obligation when he came through on the reunion tour. And so uh, when he came for the rising, I was like, okay, hook or crook, I'm going to see him. And in fact, it was on a Sunday and my son was playing, um, parochial school football right like uh -huh. you know he goes to catholic school and you know for some reason we're playing football on sunday afternoon <laughs> and my son to this day is like you didn't watch the cowboys you watched me play yes chris that's that's <laughs> what you do when you're a parent yes you you may listen to the game because this was before a dvr mm -hmm. i may have had the game on my you know the radio you know listening but no i watched you play well, i don't know if i do that well wait till your father <laughs> so um yeah so it is um and i'm i am not 
envious is the wrong word. I am happy for people who do have the vacation right. time and the ability. Um, I, I was able to do it once, Rich. Um, I was working for a company and there was a small office in Winnipeg, Canada. And uh, Brian Wilson was touring. He had done an album of Gershwin covers hmm. and he was touring and he was going to play in Winnipeg. And I went to my boss and I said, I have not gone to Winnipeg in a year. We usually go once a year. Do you care if I go this week? No. Why? I mean, why, why are you asking? I said, well, I just need to tell you the whole reason I'm picking that week is Brian Wilson is playing so I can go see him in Winnipeg. Yeah, I don't care. And so it was so it was like this this joy of like oh it's a business trip but I'm also getting to sneak in right concert Score. So, yes so I, I'm sure you can think about that right like if you're ever traveling with the college ball or with, yeah you know like oh I can do a double header um, mm -hmm. the oh I'm Eric Nadell uh, yeah. who's the voice of the Texas Rangers mm -hmm. he talks about that that he when he gets the Rangers away schedule he passes that against pre-COVID of right. cities and he's going to looking at what shows he could possibly see. Yeah. And the, the funny thing is you mentioned that. Um, and I know we'll, we could dive further into concerts and things mm -hmm. like that. The last time I saw Bruce, yeah, it was almost, it, it's eerie because it's almost three years to the day that we are talking right okay. now. Yeah. I saw him on Broadway oh, and okay. the reason I was able to see him on Broadway was because I was covering the Rays. The Rays happened to be in New York playing the Yankees that weekend. And I was like, this is serendipity. Yeah. And so it turned out to be one of the great three-day weekends <laughs> in my lifetime because right. I grew up a Yankees fan. So I got to broadcast from Yankee Stadium for the first time in my life. That's I got to see Bruce Springsteen on Broadway. And I also am a, a big Howard Stern fan, and I was on the Howard Stern show. Oh, <laughs> so those cool. three, those yeah. three things all happened back in June of 2018. And uh, little did we all know that was the last time that myself or yeah. or any of us got to see Bruce live. And then you go back a couple of years before that, and uh, like I said, it, I look back on some of the shows, and I'm like, man, that was really serendipitous. I was yes. at the Foxborough show at Gillette Stadium, September 14th, 2016. I had no idea that was the last show of that concert tour in the United States or North America, but it was. That was the last concert he's ever played in North America since then. I mean, yeah. how bizarre is that to think? Right. And I was there. And so now I look back on that show with even more fondness and reverence than I did when I was in the pit watching him perform the river at that moment yeah um so this is a perfect segue any stories from shows that you want to share yeah i got i have a lot and Good. like i said I, I i i picked out a few because i knew that this was one of the things you'd be asking me yes uh so we talked about the first show that was 1985 um one of my regrets is my senior year in high school he was on the tunnel of love tour and i was like eh I just saw him a few years ago. I don't need to see him again. And I skipped that tour and I still regret that to this day. But um, when so, I moved down here. Let, yeah. me, let me interrupt you just because this is perfect thing. Um, 
I know you're basically um, college basketball and baseball, but I know mm-hmm. you know enough that um, it's it's like in a football game where you miss the extra point and the team seems to be chasing that point the rest of the game. Yeah. Missing a tour, right? Is that in the back of your mind, you're always chasing that. I yeah. could have. How been, do you make that up? How do I make that up? <laughs> yes. And I, I, I know that feeling very yeah. much because not seeing him since 2002, you're like, yeah. gosh, all the shows I could have missed. So, but yes, go mm-hmm. ahead. So, uh, fast forward, I, I saw him a couple of times. I saw him in college at the Carrier yeah. Dome. That was amazing. I saw him in 93, after I, right after I graduated college, um, part of the. Uh, part of the human touch tour. Uh, I saw him on that reunion tour. That was incredible. Um, the one story that I, I go back to though, uh, in chronological order was back in 2000. And at that point I was already living down here in the Tampa Bay area and I was working with the Tampa Bay lightning. And so I had a lot of connections at what was then the St. Pete times forum. It's now Amelie arena where the lightning play. And so Bruce was coming and I said, I'm going I called my connections at the, at the arena. They got me really great seats right on the side of the stage, really close. Nice. And I show up as early as I can. And I'm looking to the left of me and I'm like, I know this dude. Turns out that, and I don't know how big of a baseball fan you are, Jesse, but it turns out that it was Paul Molitor, who wow. is a Hall of, yeah, Hall of Fame baseball player, one of the great baseball players of all time. And I introduced myself we end up having a fantastic conversation. This is like an hour before the show starts. And he goes, you want to see something cool? I'm like, yeah. Takes out of his pocket a handwritten set list that Bruce gave him before he came up to his seats. He's like, yeah, I was just hanging out with Bruce before. He gave me the set list to tonight's show. He goes, don't tell anybody because Bruce didn't want me to pass this around. But yeah. I figure I wanted to show you this. So my mind was blown, A, because I'm talking to Paul Molitor, yes. B, because I got to see the set list before he actually stepped on stage. And then to cap it off, after the first intermission, one of my friends who works at the arena mm-hmm. spotted me and called me down. And I was front row for the second half of the show and then got backstage. So oh, I got nice. to meet Clarence backstage. I got to meet Stevie backstage. I saw Bruce and Patty walk by, they waved. That was as close as I got. But I have a framed picture hanging up in my closet with uh, pictures that the professional photographers took. I have the set list that I hand wrote. I have a copy of the set list that Paul Molitor had handwritten by Bruce. I have Clarence's autograph. I have the ticket stub, which by the way, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but I hate the fact that there are no ticket stubs anymore. I collected all my ticket stubs and now there are no freaking ticket stubs. Yes. Anyway. So that concert, March 6th, 2000 was one that I will always remember a couple of sad ones, or at least melancholy poignant ones. Also in Tampa. Uh, I was at the March 22nd, 2008 show. That was the first show the band played after Danny Federici died. And I remember thinking going into that concert going, this is going to be weird. I don't know if we're supposed to rock out. I don't know if this is yeah. going to be su- super sad. Like we all paid a lot of money. We want to see the Bruce and the E street band that we are expecting to see. But at the yeah. same time, we also feel a, a, a modicum of sadness that I can only imagine is right. magnified by Bruce and the band. 
and he came out and they played Blood Brothers and they had that whole video tribute at the beginning. And uh, I get goosebumps thinking about it. That was a show I will never forget. And then four years later, the first show after Clarence died was in Tampa, March 23rd, 2012. And I was in the pit and he brought Jared out, Clarence's son, when they played 10th Avenue Freeze Out. And I'm, I'm not kidding, Jesse. I'm wearing this shirt in honor of you because this is the shirt that I have worn to every Bruce Springsteen concert for probably the last 10, 12 years. And I was wearing this shirt and I was in the pit, tears streaming down oh, my I face imagine. when Jared walked out. And I remember going back and a friend texting me and going, did you see the YouTube clip? And I was like, no, I don't really. He goes, you're on the YouTube clip. And so I went back and found it. And on the YouTube clip, they were cutting back and forth between the camera angle looking at the stage and the camera angle from behind the stage. And all of a sudden, when you take the camera angle behind the stage, I saw myself wow. in the stands, in the pit. And to this day, it just like takes my breath away. Sure. That I, I was moved to tears. That was the only time I was moved to tears other than I cried like four times when I saw him on Broadway. But yeah. that was incredible. I saw Bruce at Giant Stadium when he closed down Giant Stadium on the Wrecking Ball Tour. Um, again, I flew up for that. That was one of the few times I, I literally like got on a plane for the sole purpose of seeing Bruce in concert. Yeah. No other reason to do it. I just knew I had to be there. And I was there for that. So I was really grateful. And then, like I said, be now looking back, uh, I, I take a certain amount of pride uh, knowing that I was at the very last North American concert sure. that Bruce played five years ago uh, that hopefully in year six, uh, I'll be able to wipe that slate clean and, and see him again in 22, 22 when we're all expecting to see him again. Those are those are yeah. the handful of shows that I, I think back on and have like instant recall, like, man, I was so lucky and fortunate to be there. Rich, were you tempted to try to go to Broadway again? Of course. The, when I heard out that he was doing it, I hopped online and I first looked at my schedule with the Tampa sure. Bay Rays and said, when do I have off? When can I make this trip? Yeah. And the earliest I could do it was July. And the cheapest tickets were like $700 at that point. Yeah. And, you know, again, sometimes it's cost prohibitive. And for me, it's cost prohibitive. I have to keep things uh, a little bit in perspective. I, I can't, you know, I can't carpe diem everything. I've done it a lot, but yeah. I can't do, I can't do it in this case. And I'm, I'm hoping and praying that uh, I'm able to see him as soon as he starts his tour. I want to see him as many times as I possibly can and make as many, you know, shortcuts to getting to that point as I can. But seeing as how I saw him once on Broadway, um, I feel comfortable in my own skin that um, maybe, you know, I'll keep checking and seeing if there's yeah. an open date and it works with my schedule. But uh, I'm not, I can't move heaven and earth to do that. No. Yeah, I had the same feeling because uh, Linda was kind enough. And by the way, my I'm in a mixed marriage too. She is not a huge Springsteen fan. <laughs> right. um, and she, um, she did move heaven and earth to let me go to the first time. And so I was able to see him. Um, and I, I, you know, she asked and I said, no, I said, um, one, 
you know, recovering from surgery, uh, you know, I just don't see making another trip, you know, out there. And I've seen it once before. I said, now, don't get Mm -hmm. me wrong. If, you know, if someone emailed me and said, hey, Jesse, I've got you a free ticket. Sure. Yeah, but uh, not enough to do that. Um, I am selfishly hoping he doesn't change the show right, right. like you know <laughs> so you, you don't know, feel like you're missing anything exactly i mean i right. am tell you i'm meant to do that that is hilarious uh so how uh, let's change topics just for a moment um how crazy was last year covering baseball during the pandemic and and does it feel a little bit n- more normal this year or I guess for college basketball for that matter yeah it, it feels uh I'll start at the end of that question it feels yeah. a lot more normal Jesse thank yeah. goodness yeah uh you know most stadiums are back to full capacity the Rays certainly are um we're not traveling with the team anymore that's a big change and I don't know if that's ever going to go back to the way it was to be honest yeah. with you not necessarily for pandemic reasons but for uh collective bargaining agreement reasons and that's a whole other story that for a whole other time um so that will and that remains different and will be different but last year sucked i mean it it it, you know i was broadcasting in an empty stadium whether the team was at home or on the road um and yet i i feel very fortunate because the rays made it all the way to the world series and i can tell you as strange as the regular season was, and even the postseason when you had to go to a specific stadium to play those playoff games and not play in front of the home crowd, once the playoffs started, the whole regular season went away in terms of how different it was. It still felt like the playoffs. It still felt like you earned your spot there. And right. uh, the, the American League championship rings that the Rays have aren't diminished in any way, shape, or right. form. That banner that hangs up in Tropicana Field is still looked at with reverence and pride, just like all the other banners it they be. have in, in that stadium. I agree 100%. Yeah. Doing college basketball games was weird because I was one of the fortunate ones, Jesse. About a third of the games that I called, I was still at the arena, despite the fact that there were not a lot of fans there. But the other two-thirds, I was in my living room calling yeah. games essentially off a zoom call, how, how you and I are looking at each other and speaking wow. to each other. So that was a real challenge. Um, one of the things I pride myself on is bringing a lot of passion to every game that I call knowing kind of like how Joe DiMaggio used to say, like the reason I go out and try my hardest every game is because you never know when it's some young fans first time at a baseball exactly. game seeing me. I know how important each and every game is to the teams that I'm calling those games of. So I want to bring 100% of myself to that game, even if I'm not there, even if the fans aren't there, even if the game doesn't have any ramifications in the longer, in the bigger sense. Uh, So that wasn't an issue for me, but certainly having the best seat in the house when things are quote unquote normal is one of the things that drew me to that profession in the first place. You know, I grew up going to Yankee Stadium and Madison Square Garden and Giant Stadium. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to be a sportscaster, because I love the energy of being in that building and in that environment. And so you miss that when when this last year happened. And I'm hoping and praying that sooner than later, things are going to be back to normal. And obviously seems like we're trending in that direction. 
Yeah, um, it was really tough last year as a Texas Rangers fan to know they have this beautiful new ballpark and you Mm -hmm. couldn't go in and see it. Um, And, uh, you know, you got to experience it for the World Series. Um, The it was, uh, you know, they've opened up and um, it I'm, you know, I'm recovering from surgery. And uh, not that I'm obsessed, but August 25th is the first day that I can eat normal food where uh-huh. I'm going through. And so um, I looked and like on Saturday, the 28th or 29th of August, the Astros are here in Dallas. So I no. went and I went and I went. Um, so I asked Linda, I'm like, can we buy can we buy a little better seats than we normally buy? Cause we haven't been to the stadium. She's like, yes. And so I text my brother-in-law who is a huge baseball fan with me. In fact, when he, I, and my son, when my son was like 10 for like three years in a row, we got mini ticket plans and all three of us went, you know, oh, that's and I'll awesome. tell you what, going to a day game in July in Arlington, mm-hmm. Texas, mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you, you know, they talk about a, a a bad day at the ballpark is better than a good day at the office. You can debate that when it's that uh-huh. hot in the day game. But uh, he went, so we're going to see, uh, and we're ecstatic about going to yeah. see the new ballpark. I, I thought you were going to say your first real food is going to be hot dog, pretzel, beer yeah. at Globe Life Field. It, it probably will be. It is. It is. Um, the in fact, that's what Linda has suggested. Okay, we need to cook a hot dog before you go. Because, you know, you don't know how your stomach is going to react to make sure you're okay. I don't want you to get sick watching the game. (laughs) So that's, that's amazing. And I, 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 you know, I, I'm hearing this from other people, not directly, but from, and it's interesting to hear it directly, but, you know, I'm, I'm reading about this, that, you know, there are people that are pushing back to their bosses going, there is no reason for me to go back in the office. I, you know, for a year and a half, I've been working remotely. I've Mm -hmm. done everything. I've hit all my goals. There's no need. And so I think that's also interesting, the idea of, well, why do we have the people travel with the team to call it? But it does seem very, there is a distance or something, the idea of, you watching a monitor and describing it, um, you know, versus, cause I've, I've, I've heard like Joe Buck interviews and Troy Aikman, mm-hmm. you know, locally talking about how, you know, during the pandemic, you, you know, you're kind of calling the game remotely. Um, yeah. I, and I, and I, and I understand the expense and I understand there's a whole debate, but that does seem a little sad that you don't have that experience. Right. A hundred percent. And, and I feel like we can't be our best selves as announcers if we are not at the game. And this is just my personal opinion, Jesse, but I'm hoping that I'm right from everything that I hear inside my industry, things will get back to announcers traveling with the team, but production wise, most productions are going to stay remote from here on out. And that's only because the technology is such that you can now execute remotely, essentially the same as you can if you were in a big production truck sitting right outside the stadium. Um, And if that's the case, then I'm fine with that. You know, I I would rather it be the way it's always been because that's what you're used to. And then you have face-to-face interaction with your 
producer, with your director before the shows, instead of being on text or Zoom call or right. what have you before, before the games. Mm-hmm. But as long as I am there selfishly, I know I could be my most authentic self. And that's what you want to bring to every game. Otherwise, I think you're getting short-tripted and the fans are getting short-tripted. And I realize, like you said, you're saving a certain amount of money. But at the end of the day, you know, working for ESPN is such a joy and a treat in so many ways. The one thing that I always fall back on when you're frustrated with the way things are going or with the current state of affairs, ESPN's mantra, their motto, their credo from day one has always been to serve the sports fan anytime, anywhere. And they will hold true to that. um, Despite the fact that it might cost them a few extra dollars here and there. I believe, and I trust that when the time is right, they will live by that mantra and doing that means sending announcers to the games, to remote sites. Good. Um, so I, I'm going to get back to Bruce in a moment, and but I'm going to kind of tie this in together. Um, is there, you've been able to cover a World Series, like mm-hmm. what in your sports life, in your work life, have you not gotten to do that you want to do? Oh, that's a great question. Um, and you would think that if I was ambitious enough, I would have thought of that already. Yeah. Um you know what? Uh, I would say call an NBA game or or yeah. or work. You know, cover the NBA would okay. probably be a, a real treat, a real thrill for me. Yeah. Um, like I realize this now even more so than uh, than I would have had I not had kids of my own. But I have two boys and a girl. My two boys are big basketball fans. They're seventeen and twelve, but they love the NBA. Yeah. Even though their dad calls college basketball games, they don't really care as much about college basketball. And what I've come to learn through their eyes is I was the same way. When you're a child growing up, you're an NBA. If you're a basketball fan, right. you're an NBA fan. It's not until you get out of college that you start to listen, like, like and watch college basketball as well. Yeah. And there are certainly exceptions to that. I'm just saying in general, I believe that to be true. So I think maybe selfishly through to see their reaction through their eyes Mm -hmm. to, oh, my God, my dad's calling an NBA game. How cool is that? Uh, That would really be uh, a bucket list thing for me, I think. That would be cool. I know we had um, Donnie Nelson uh, yeah. was announced yesterday as we record this, that he was leaving the Mavericks, which yeah, I was 24 surprised. Years yeah, exactly. Like and mm. uh, my son is a huge Cowboys, always number one. But um, as he said, Dirk Nowitzki is his Roger Staubach because, mm. you know, Dirk had a championship yeah. in, in his lifetime. Uh, he right. was born in 89, but so he doesn't remember the Super Bowl years with the Cowboys. So all he's remembered is the disappointment. Uh, right. you know. um, so and we were excited to watch Luca play um, dynamic young player. Yeah, he's amazing crazy how young he is and how you know so yeah i think that would be a a fun that that seems like a good goal yeah so i'm gonna flip it over bruce wise are there swish list of songs you haven't heard bruce perform live that's on your bingo card or your wish list you know 
I, I can honestly say there's one. Okay. And uh, I was lucky enough a couple of years ago to be a guest DJ on each straight radio. So I had to come yeah. up with my seven songs. Yes. And this is, this is one of those songs because, and I said during that hour that uh, it, it's, you know, it's my golden ring, so to speak. Okay. It's the one that I'm still wishing for, hoping for. And I've never been a sign guy. Yeah. And I, I, you know, the last, maybe the last half dozen shows I've gone to, I've been lucky enough to be in the pit. Yeah. But I've never made a sign. If there was a sign, this might be it. Uh, but Pretty Flamingo is is probably the song that I would love to hear him perform in person that I have not yet heard. Um, when I first heard it, it was like one of those wow moments. It was a eureka right. moment for me because I had never heard it at all before. Again, I'm sure yeah. there's tons of Springsteen fans who are like, what? I've been, you know, he's been playing yeah. that song since the 70s, blah, blah, blah. Listen, I only heard it maybe 10 years ago and it was a mind blower for me. You know, and so that would be one that that I haven't heard that I would love to hear. That's cool. Um, I know that um, to go back what you said earlier with DiMaggio, right? Um, I'm a big comic book fan. I grew up reading comic books. And one of the things often said is the writers need to remember that every every comic is someone's first comic first mm -hmm. and so therefore you you need to work in calling a character their name because they won't know who they are and i joked about i have a my one of my best friends is like you know let's get rid of born to run so he can throw a different song in there and i'm like yes <laughs> but someone this yes. is their first bruce show and how disappointed are they going to be if they go home not hearing Born to Run perform live, right? I can't I mean, agree with you more. Yeah. And so I think the same thing, right? Like that or is, and it is weird. My first seven shows, um, he did not play Thunder Road, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, I, I, I can't believe I haven't heard Thunder Road <laughs> live. Now, the next eight shows he did. And I, as I've told the story, he was either doing, um, you know, uh, Dream Baby Dream or Thunder Road the end of the show. And none of the shows I made did he do Dream Baby Dream. And Dream Baby Dream is one of the covers that has been, have, we've kind of adopted as a family song. And in fact, mm -hmm. we'll often, when we're on the porch, you know, talking about Mary's Place, doing a pregame before the Cowboy game will come on, you know, and right before we go in, Chris will play Dream Baby Dream. Like, okay, we need a cowboy victory. You know, let's and, uh, so and, cool. we, and often, so yeah, so that's one of them I would be chasing. And I'm sure there's plenty of people go, what? But it is, it, it just, it's a very personal thing. And right. I think that's a great story to deal. I don't know if you've heard, but um, the writer of Pretty Flamingo, Mark Barkin, actually mm -hmm. was nice enough to join me on a show a few years ago. And oh, he wow. talked about writing, uh, you know, he wrote the Banana Splits theme song and he did Pretty mm -hmm. Flamingo. He was a very interesting guest. And he talked about his only regret is he never got to talk to Bruce to thank him in person for doing it. And like, Bruce, why didn't you put it on an album? Like, you, <laughs> you know, like you love the song so much. Why didn't you? Maybe, hey, tracks two. Yeah, tracks there we go. Coming. Maybe good. I'm, I'm go. feeling yes. it. Maybe, pre yeah. maybe pretty, pretty flamingos on that yeah. one. Yeah. All right, Rich, what should I have asked you that I haven't? 
Oh my gosh. Uh, we've, we've run the gamut, Jesse. I I've had a blast. I, I, I honestly, I, I don't have a clock in front of me. I feel yeah. like we've been talking for 10 minutes and it might've yeah. been 10 hours. Yeah. Like I'm in a casino or something. Well, I, I appreciate that. I was worried about, no, uh, we we've almost hit an hour and, and I agree with you. I feel like I've had a blast. Um, so, um, talk to me a little bit. Um, what do you got going on future plans in your work life? And then we'll go to the Mary question. So, okay. Uh, well, thank you for asking. Um, my future plans are certainly status quo. Uh, I'm finishing up this, uh, this baseball season, hopefully at the time we're recording the Rays are the best team in, in the American league. Well, now technically they're a half game behind the white Sox, but they're one of the best teams in baseball. Hopefully they keep that up and make a, a world series run and I'll actually be at the world series games. That, that would be yeah. uh, a, a very um, short-term hope for me. Yeah. And then basketball season starts in November for me. I usually have the month of uh, a, a couple of weeks at the end of October, early November off to reintroduce myself to my family as it yes. were. And, uh, and then basketball season starts. And again, I hope that I will be traveling to those basketball games. Um, and then the one thing that I've set a goal for myself of is uh, I'm trying to start uh, in the very early stages of starting a public speaking side to my business that I haven't done yet. I've done it, I've done it informally a lot locally, speaking to local groups and schools okay. and things like that. But in the last 20 plus years as a sportscaster, I've been very fortunate to meet a lot of interesting people, make a lot of interesting friends and be part of a lot of interesting moments. And I feel like I've collected a lot of stories and lessons along the way that I'd like to share with people, whether it's businesses or students or uh, groups uh, of any size or, you know, or any, or any type that might benefit from that. So um, I'm putting together the framework of what that speech or speeches would, would look like and sound like, and uh, hopefully get that off the ground soon. That sounds good. That sounds great. All right. Uh, in case this is your first podcast, um, a, um, a current, um, he is currently retired, but Jay Armstrong was an honors English teacher in the Philadelphia area. And every year he would, in his honors English class, his seniors, they would take two days and they would, um, dissect Thunder Road. Uh, mm -hmm. They would cover um, the lyrics. He would talk about the themes. He would compare it to like Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken, and um, and kind of break down the song as this epic poem. And at the end of the two days, he asked his class, and that was the assignment, does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? So, Rich, that is your question. Uh, my answer, Jesse, is unequivocally Yes. She gets in the car. Not only does she get in the car, but that was back in 1975. And I'm, I'm imagining that Mary was 18 years old at that point. So that's what I'm doing the math. Is that 46 years ago? Yeah. So she would be 63 years old. She and Bruce are married for that long. They not only have kids, but they have grandkids. And, uh, and the fact is that, they, that they've been through their ups and downs, but they are happily retired and enjoying their life with their, their children and their grandchildren at this point. I love that answer. Um, you know, um, one of my guests said that not only did she get in the car, but they drove west 
and his theory is Moonlight Motel is him, Mary has died, and he mm. is, they have spent their life together, and that he is mourning Mary. So that's listen, unbelievable. Listen to Moonlight Motel for that thought yeah. process, and you'll give a little different thoughts. You um, know, it's funny, Moonlight yeah. Motel is one of my favorite songs. I loved Western Stars, and I was but, really hesitant because yeah. I was scared about not loving it, but yeah. I loved Western Stars. And Moonlight Motel, I think, is some of the best songwriting that Bruce has ever done. Yeah, you know, I didn't even talk to you about Western Stars or Letter to You, so I'm glad you brought that up. Um, you know, it is, he's still got a fastball, right? Like, mm -hmm. it may not be Nolan Ryan at his peak, but this thing, he still can throw it out there. So that's pretty amazing. Uh, yeah, they're in my top, they're in my top 15. I could yeah. tell you that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love that, uh, your debate with your friends and going through that. Um, yeah. That's, uh, I, I've got to ask you, it's kind of after the fact, but, you know, um, what did you think about the Super Bowl ad in the middle? Uh, it was a little strange. I mean, I listen, I get Jeep wanting to use Bruce Springsteen for sure. sure. Um, and it felt very, it, it felt like Bruce certainly had control over the messaging and yes. all of that um it was odd though because you realize very quickly when you're in an audience and i was at a super bowl party just like right. so many people were you realize how large bruce's fan base is and yet at certain times you feel like you are in such the minority i remember i felt watching that commercial that everyone was watching me Yes. watching the commercial, yes. <laughs> waiting to judge me on my reaction. Yes. And, and you realize how we're still in somewhat of a minority. Bruce is, I wouldn't say he's polarizing in that way, but no matter how many millions and millions and millions of fans, and no matter how prolific Bruce is, there's still a large part of society who either doesn't listen to him or doesn't get him or might, might wholly reject whatever they think his message is or has been in the past so uh it was a little off-putting yeah. you know seeing that at the time and yet i go back to how he speaks so reverentially about performing at the super bowl ironically enough in tampa stadium it's good during yes. the uh during the the working on a dream uh portion of his career yeah. and so that made me happy that he was once again at least in some small way part of that Super Bowl event, so to speak. Yeah, I cannot remember the columnist, but someone said nothing tells you how far away we are from the middle than the two extremes of the far right and the far left arguing about the middle, you know, how many of them were the left is going, no, we aren't going to go to the middle. There's no way we're going to meet these people with their radical ideas of not wanting people to vote and doing this. And then, you know, the right going, Oh, how dare you when you've right. criticized, you know, president Trump all these years and like, what do you mean the middle? So that's it. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot of stuff that's happened when you think about it. Um, a lot of significant events in Florida in Bruce's career, which you would not think of, but you just mentioned, you know, the Super Bowl, those, you know, final show, you know, those first shows after mm -hmm. the passing of someone that's, that's, I've never thought about that before. Thanks for bringing yeah. that up. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think it's ironic in the least to understand that Bruce spent a lot of time in Florida. Uh, he's on the East coast in, in the yeah. Wellington area. I know 
Uh, but Clarence Clemens also, yeah. God rest his soul, you know, lived yeah. down here also for a long, long time. So, um, you know, maybe I tell myself that to feel a little bit closer to East no, Street Nation. I agree. But I feel like outside of outside of the the tri-state area, uh, there's a lot of Springsteen, uh, a lot of Springsteen down here in Florida. Absolutely. All right. So um, how can someone reach you and any final thoughts? Uh, you can reach me on social media. My Twitter handle is at rich on sports and on Instagram, it's at rich hall, R I C H H O L L. And my final thoughts are, thank you. Thanks to you, Jesse, for having this forum for people like me to talk about things that I love talking about. And, uh, I feel that same way about Bruce, you know, that thanks to, to Bruce for, giving us something that we could all surround ourselves with and come together communally in a time, especially now when things feel so polarized and so to the extremes, like you talked about a moment ago, um, at least we have Bruce's music that some of us can all come together and agree upon. Well, I totally agree. Uh, amen, brother. I, I, I think that's well said. Um, the hope is that, um, we get a tour in 2022, and I hope I'm going to be able to meet you. Uh, and who knows, maybe um, if you end up traveling uh, and you've got an extra minute or two when you're in DFW, you say, hey, Jesse, let's go meet for a drink. Uh, and uh, so we're doing that. So this is great. I appreciate your time. And, and this was so nice of you to join me. Um, listeners, you, please be safe. Um, go get a vaccine. Remember to wear your mask. Remember to wash your hands. Remember to social distance. And let's all be kind to each other because that's the only way we're going to get through this. Um, thank you, Rich. Thank you, listeners. And we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Doing a podcast at times can be a one-way conversation. And I hate that. So please let me know what you like and don't like about the work I'm doing. You can reach the podcast via email at setlessingbruce at gmail.com. The show is on Twitter, at SetLustingBruce, and my personal Twitter is at DFW. We have a website, www.setlustingbruce.com. From there, you can find links to other Springsteen podcasts, as well as other music-themed podcasts. We have a page devoted to our own SLB All-Star Band. These are guests who have been on the podcast more than three times. There is a link to our store where you can purchase Set Lessing Brew shirts, as well as a Merry Question t-shirt. There is a link to our Patreon page where you can sign up to help support the podcast financially. We have different levels and different rewards based on your support. If you don't have any extra cash, and right now who does, you can support the podcast by subscribing via your favorite podcast player and leaving us a review. The more reviews we have, the easier it is for people to find us. And please tell a friend about the podcast, especially if they love Bruce or music, because it will make a difference. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only. Set Listing Bruce. Set Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme 
for Setless and Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.